0: So, our question this evening is, what is a wise leader? How would you answer that question? There are many ways our world would answer. Some say that to be a wise leader, you need big charisma and a big personality. So whether the crowds applaud at their speeches and their tweets amass a huge number of followers. Some say to be a wise leader, you need cutthroat ambition coupled with an unstoppable work ethic. So these leaders desire to be at the very top of their game, to be the very best in their field or industry. And so they will tear down everyone in their way to get there. They will do anything to get to the top. So these leaders will wake up at 6am and work through till midnight and expect everyone to do the same. Some might say that to be a wise leader, you need to be an intellectual giant where you have a PhD coming out of every year, or you have more bits than they can count. So the world has many definitions of what a wise leader could be. But the thing they all have in common is that they all have a very large view of themselves. They are driven by their pride and their egos. And this sort of worldly thinking can creep into the church. It can be tempting to look over our shoulders and assess church leaders by how impressive they look, whether it's the number of people that come on a Sunday, or it's the quality of the music ministry that some churches boast. Or it might be the speakers themselves and how polished they are in their speaking. And this this infection of worldliness has always been in the church. And James is writing his letter to a world, to a church caught up in worldliness, living and behaving like the world does. And so we come to our passage uh, today in James chapter three, and it begins the section in chapter, uh, th- chapter three, verse one. Let me read that for us now. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because we, you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. At first, this reading seems very strange. James here is actively discouraging people from gospel ministry. The harvest is indeed plentiful, and the workers are few. But James here is saying, don't presume to be a gospel teacher. He then explains that our tongues expose our double-mindedness. So when you go to a doctor and you have the flu, one of the first things the doctor does is say, stick out your tongue. And if your tongue is pale and gross looking, more so than usual, then your tongue exposes your sickness. And so James here says, stick out your tongue and I'll show you what's wrong. So in verse 8, he speaks of the tongue as a deadly poison, a restless evil, and although it's small, it punches well above its weight, causing so much damage. I'm sure we know from painful experience just how much damage our words can bring. And James says, your tongues show your double-mindedness, which means trying to live as a Christian and as a non-Christian at the same time. Verse nine says you can be driving along, listening to your favorite worship music, and then next swearing at a van driver who cuts out in front of you. And so if our tongues and our speech show the sinful depths of our hearts, who then is qualified to lead God's people? And James asks this question in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? In Hebrew thought, the wise man, the sage, was the leader of God's people. So James is asking, what does it mean to be wise? And the answer we'll see this evening is the wise person, the wise leader, is the one who walks in heavenly wisdom. And in our passage, 13 to 18, James compares two different types of wisdom, earthly wisdom from below and heavenly wisdom from above. And he describes them a bit like trees. We see their fruits, what each wisdom produces and we see their roots, where they come from. And Jesus himself used the image of trees when talking about true and false leaders. Matthew 7, he says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And so, in every age, there is a danger that worldly thinking can infect the church. It will masquerade as true wisdom, and so James in our passage gives us discernment. We need to be able to recognize the true fruits of heavenly wisdom and the rotten fruit of earthly wisdom. So the big passage, uh, the big purpose of our passage today is twofold. Two sides of the same coin. Firstly, throw away the fruit of rotten earthly wisdom. And secondly, taste the lovely fruit of heavenly wisdom. So, firstly, throw away the rotten fruit of earthly wisdom. But first, before James shows us what earthly wisdom produces, he shows us the picture on the box, what true wisdom is supposed to look like. So, have a look at verse 13 again. Who is wise and understanding among you, let him show it, show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility, That comes from wisdom true wisdom he says first comes from humility humility means having a large view of god and a small view of man and humbling ourselves before the lord our opening verse the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom when we see god in his awesome holy majesty and we see the depths of our ugly rebellion against him The only response is humility, to throw ourselves on his abundant mercy and to fear him as our savior and king. However, the world thinks that humility is a laughable trait. The character of worldly wisdom is pride, which seeks to have a small view of God and a large view of man. And worldly wisdom rejects God's loving rule and tells us to build our own empires, pursuing prestige, praise and reputation. But James says, the mark of true wisdom is humility, which works itself out into every corner of life where the wise person will show it by his good life, the beautiful life, where every corner has been deeply transformed by the fear of the Lord, resulting in a living faith full of good deeds. And again, this is so different to the world's view of wisdom. The world says, To be wise, you have to be the smartest in the room. But James says true wisdom isn't about how smart you are, but it's inherently practical, showing in a deep love for others, a deep love for God. And then James, having shown us the true picture of what wisdom looks like, he gives us uh, the expose of false wisdom, envy and selfish ambition. So envy or jealousy is wanting what other people have, and it breeds resentment. So when others succeed, we feel better about it, and we want to be in their place. And similarly, selfish ambition is the flip side of envy. It will tear down all in its path to achieve what it wants. And it's tied in with the idea of empire building, exalting self above all others. The idea of empire building is that we'll be happier and wiser the more we have, the more financially secure we are, and the more prestigious our reputations are. And we see envy and selfish ambition throughout the world, don't we? So think of a toddler. The toddler sees another toddler with a toy. What does the toddler do? They'll snatch it from them. You see the people in the office maneuvering for position, maneuvering for uh, the promotion, slandering others, tearing others down in their way. We see it in ourselves, in resenting others for the, for the successes they've had. And this sort of worldly thinking, envy and ambition can creep into the church. So one example comes to mind of a church plant a few years ago. So in my previous church, one of the pastors was seeking to plant a church in a nearby community town. But a lot of opposition came from a liberal vicar, because he didn't want to be the He didn't want to lose his status as the biggest church in town. And so this vicar did all he could to oppose the gospel there. And closer to home, envy and selfish ambition can lurk in our motives. So whether we're serving in church in whatever capacity, it can be tempting to do so for the recognition of others. You might long to hear that praise from people. Oh, you're such a talented chef. You're such a talented speaker or musician. Such a talented speaker. This is the heart of the Pharisee who longs to the, longs to the praise of man rather than the Lord. However, James is clear. If we harbor jealousy and envy in our hearts, we shouldn't boast about it or deny the truth. This is not true wisdom. In fact, it's earthly wisdom. Have a look at verse 15. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly wisdom unspiritual and of the devil see there's a progression downwards earthly unspiritual and of the devil and we may think whoa this sounds a bit strong how is this sort of thinking demonic but think about it if one of the devil's chief tactics is to minimize God and to exalt man in his place so what did he do in the Garden of Eden he made the generous God he made everything You gave a paradise of life for Adam and Eve to enjoy, he made him out to be a mean-spirited God, and tempted Adam and Eve to eat the, the fruit from the tree of knowledge and to be God in God's place. This was rebellion, an attempt to dethrone God and enthrone man. And this is the heart of worldly wisdom, dethroning God and enthroning man. And we see the evidence of this in verse 16, have a look. When you have envy and selfish ambition, there you have disorder and every evil practice. So, when the church behaves like the world, things can get so ugly. I'm sure all of us know of stories of factions and churches where rival leaders will clash for power, where on a good day that can lead to gossip and slander, but on a bad day, it can lead to church splits. I was speaking to a colleague this week. Who had an especially bad experience uh, in her church she described how the minister had been very controlling and wanted things done in a certain way and so when one service she went to speak to the, the pastor that conversation was seen as an attempt to overthrow him then sadly they were vilified they'd been serving at the church for many years and they were removed as elders and they weren't allowed to teach sunday school things got really ugly and that's what happens when the world infects the church. And so James says to us, recognize the fruits of earthly wisdom. There's no place for selfish ambition and envy that will only lead to disorder and every evil practice. We're all outrageous sinners saved by outrageous grace. So there can be no room for pride. But James doesn't only just show us the rottenness of earthly wisdom. He shows us the alternative, the far better version. Just as Lady Folly was like a a mark of the true wisdom, so earthly wisdom mask as heavenly wisdom. So our second heading is: taste the lovely fruit of heavenly wisdom. Have a look down at 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive full of good mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So compared to earthly wisdom, heavenly wisdom sounds lovely, doesn't it? And that's the point. This picture of wisdom is meant to be mouthwateringly good. Similarly to the Sermon on the Mount uh, we looked at a few years ago. Jesus painted a picture of his perfect kingdom, what life is like living as Jesus as our King. And so here, James paints a view of heavenly wisdom. And it sounds a bit like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, where the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and so on. And there's a case to be made that the fruit of wisdom is the same fruit as the fruit of the Spirit. Back in the Old Testament, there was a strong link as well between the Spirit and wisdom. So in Isaiah 11, Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah, God's promised king in this way. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. But let's get back to James, and we will see that this list of wisdom is very appropriate to James's context and our context. So firstly, the wisdom that comes from heaven is pure. This is the idea that it's not mixed in with anything else. It's of one substance. And so a pure person who's trusting in jesus their lives will be completely cleansed by his blood their sin paid for and cleansed and their motives will be pure instead of seeking praise from man and others they will seek praise only from the lord and in the context of james where the church was caught in two minds this this purity of thought and devotion would be a breath of fresh air Secondly, the wise person is peace-loving. Instead of ambition and selfish envy, leading to disorder, the person marked by the spirit of wisdom pursues peace. Their spiritual war with God is over and they become peacemakers. That's not to say sometimes the peaceful person won't make waves. They will stand up for what is right, but in general, they will seek the peace of others. Third, the wise person is considerate and gentle. They don't respond harshly to criticism, and they always seek the best in others. My old pastor in my previous church was a very gentle man. I remember one occasion he was being mocked in a Q&A after a service, and it was completely unfair, completely unwarranted, and uh, he responded so gently to him. He didn't respond with criticism or, or harshly, Said so he listened to him, even though it was completely untrue. Fourthly, the wise person is submissive and open to reason. So instead of selfish ambition and pride leading to disorder, the wise man will listen to a rebuke. They are humble enough to admit when they are wrong. We heard in Proverbs in our reading that the wise will listen to their learning, will add to their learning. They will listen to advice. Number five, the wise are full of mercy and good deeds. And we see this ties in with James, what we've seen so far. That we're to have a living faith that overflows in mercy and compassion to others. So not walking by when we see a brother and sister in need. Number six, the wise are impartial. In other words, they are steady minded. They do not change the treatment of of others based on the person's status in the world. And finally, seven, the wise are sincere. They're the same in public and in private. There's no gap between what they say and what they do. So doesn't this picture of wisdom sound lovely? Can you imagine a church where everyone was pure in their devotion, where they were kind and gentle towards others, they were sincere, and they lived out what they believed? Wouldn't it be such a joy to be part of such a community? But if we're honest, this picture of heavenly wisdom can often be miles away miles away from the selfish motives that lurk in our hearts. But there was a man who walked in heavenly wisdom, who embodied all of these characteristics. So Jesus is the man who is wisdom from heaven. He embodied the fruit of wisdom. He is the promised king back in Isaiah, which Isaiah prophesied about. that He is anointed by the spirit of wisdom. So he was pure he was perfect in his obedience to his father he wasn't swayed by crowds and he lived and died for his father's will he set his face like flint to the cross he could have turned back at any at any moment he could have called down a legion of angels but Jesus chose the cross to save us he was peace-loving he gave up his life to secure us peace he opposed the hypocrisy the religious establishment and he promises a world of perfect peace. He's gentle, a bruised reed he doesn't break. He's the good shepherd who carries his lambs gently in his, in his hands, never to let them go. He's submissive. He's, he's submitted to his father and became a servant, even unto death, and he's full of mercy. In the gospels, he showed compassion to outsiders, outsiders of outsiders remember the leper who came to him and everyone would jump out of the way they wouldn't want to be touched by this unclean man but Jesus made him clean reaching out to Sam and touched him he showed compassion to the outsider of outsiders he is impartial he never changes he is our rock he is the same yesterday today and forever and he's completely sincere he's absolutely trustworthy he has no hypocrisy he calls us to pray for his enemies but he prayed for his executioners on the cross so jesus is the wisdom from heaven he is the anointed king of the spirit of wisdom so if we're lacking wisdom we can do several things so firstly fill your hearts with jesus the embodiment of wisdom. So the heart of the Christian life is becoming more like him. And so the more our hearts are inflamed by this view of Jesus, the more we will be like him. The more we behold him as wisdom from heaven, the more he will transform us like himself. And in the busyness of life, it's easy to forget about him. Other things will crowd him out, but take time to look afresh at the Lord Jesus and his wisdom and secondly ask for this kind of wisdom so turn back with me to James chapter 1 chapter 5 verse 5. if any of you lacks wisdom he should ask God he gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him if any of you lacks wisdom he should ask God and if we're genuine in this in this request There's no prayer that the Lord would love to answer more, to make us more like his son. However, if we still want to live in both worlds, living as a Christian, as a non-Christian, then in our hearts we won't want him to answer that prayer. But if we're genuine, he will love to honour that prayer. Thirdly, back wise leaders who walk in heavenly wisdom. So if we ever find ourselves looking for a new church, look for these traits of wisdom in their leaders. They may seem unimpressive, but if they're faithful and they fear the Lord, and it's clear that the wisdom has sort of worked its way through their lives, then back them wholeheartedly. Pray for them. And we can pray for our leaders here at St. John's, that they too would be marked by this wisdom, by this fear of the Lord. And finally, live in the fruit of heavenly wisdom. So I want to end in verse 18, chapter three. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So when a church lives this out, it is deeply attractive. Imagine a church where lives are completely transformed by the gospel, where instead of envy and ambition, people are pure and sincere. Instead of trampling others with slander, People use their words to build others up. Instead of exalting themselves, they exalt their awesome Savior. So I suppose the prayer for us is that we would walk in this wisdom. We would throw away the rottenness of earthly wisdom, but we ourselves would walk in this heavenly wisdom. Let's pray. father god we praise you so much for jesus our savior praise you that he is wisdom from heaven we praise you that he is absolutely pure kind and gentle that he in his perfect obedience gave his life to save and rescue us and father god we're sorry for all the ways we walk in earthly wisdom harboring jealousy and envy in our hearts and father god we pray that we would be your church walking in a deep fear and reverence of you and father god please make us more like your precious son the lord jesus christ and transform us by your spirit of wisdom in all areas of life to live and serve you for the glory of your name amen